Well, good morning. You might be looking up here and saying, wow, um, you look different. Um, because I am different. Um, I'm not from this part of town, as you can tell. Uh, maybe you can't tell. Maybe my skinny pants gives you away. It's dead of winter and I'm wearing no socks. And maybe you're like, are you from the left coast? And the answer is absolutely I am. And I am blessed to be here. Hey, breakthrough is something that we're doing different here, and your pastors thoughtfully and prayerfully have, have addressed, we want to do something different. And you know, in this church, as much as there's great history and the Lord has worked mightily in this place, man, what would it look like for us to include some diversity? So we've had white guys preach up here, we've had black people stand up here, and some brown people, but we've never had a yellow. So, you know, thoughtfully, your pastors, you know, Pastor Gary and Pierce and others have reached out to me and said, you know what, Ryan? Man, we would love a powerful practitioner who would actually be fierce for the gospel. So we were wondering if you have Francis Chan's number. <laughs> um, I apologize on behalf of Francis. He couldn't be here today. Um, but you got me instead. And I am grateful to be here and to address you with scripture. If you have your Bibles, I would like to ask that you would turn to Psalm 67. And here we're going to address uh, the most important question. The question is, why do you exist? Why did God save you? And this question is critical because when we're thinking through breakthroughs, you and I cannot break through unless we live in God's purpose and design. Amen? All right, 9 o'clock, 9.30, you need to do a little better than that. Amen? Amen? Yeah, so we want to break through. We want to live in God's purpose. What might that be? And this passage, these two verses address us in ways that have changed my life. In fact, as, we, uh, as you know, in, from the beginning of this year, you guys are going through a, a series called uh, Verse That Changed My Life. And this verse has radically changed my life. And my prayer for you is that the Lord in the spirit will address you and preach a better sermon than the one that you're about to hear from me today. Psalm 67, verses one through two. This is the word of the Lord. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. Amen. Now, I want to show you a twofold reason why you exist in this morning. And then in the second session, I'd love to flesh out some practical things that we could do to live out these verses. First, you exist to enjoy God's grace. You exist to enjoy God's grace. Look at verse 1. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us. And you'll notice if you're holding a physical Bible, you'll see that at the end, it has this word, Selah. And say lies, a musical term is to say, you need to just pause and rest and deeply consider what we just passed through. That this God of the universe, the God that has breathed into existence billions of stars in the sky, the creator of all things that formed us and fashioned us. And if you could breathe today, 
God gave us the ability to breathe that air into our lungs. If you feel a pulse today, it is God who is driving every pulse into your life. It is God who has formed us. It is God who has a plan for us. It is the omnipotent one, the glorious one, the omnipresent one. And he loves you. And he's chasing after you. And he's speaking to us today. The king of all kings, the ruler of all things that holds the entire world and universe in his hand. It is this God that wants to talk to us and bless us today. And we're asking this magnificent God, would you please bless us? Will you please grace us? And then it goes on to say here, may God make his face shine upon us. May the radiant God smile upon us. Could you imagine a God that smiles upon, smiles upon you this morning? That we would feel his radiant sunshine that we will feel his presence today. I had heard recently that God is uh, starting a tremble within your church, that God's stirring up something. The presence of God is felt in this place. And this is exactly what we're talking about. God, will you shine your face on me? What a magnificent prayer the psalmist prays. Please, may your face shine upon me. And this is so different than every other religion in the world. Because every other religion, if you don't know, is all about us shining our faith and our life and our obedience to God so that he might pay attention to us. Now imagine if I had a really tall ladder up here to the skies. And every other religion is like God is up there and everybody's down here. And in order to uh, climb up and to make his face shine upon us, we must shine our face up first through obedience, through maybe, whether it be Islam, Buddhism, uh, um, Hinduism, whatever it is, God is at the top. And if you want the attention of God, you're gonna have to obey. You're gonna have to do a series of things. Maybe you have to visit Mecca. You have to maybe pray five times a day. Maybe you have to channel in into uh, your spirit sense and follow the five noble paths, whatever it is. And all the other religions in the world have one thing in common, which is this. If you want God to love you, you're going to have to obey him and climb up that ladder to chase him down. But here is the gospel. This God did not wait for you to climb up a ladder. He came down one. He came down. God with us. He has come in the form of Jesus. And the good news of the gospel is this, that God came to us. And he pursued us when we didn't pursue him. And he has adopted us through his son, Jesus, who lived the perfect life and went to the cross. And on the cross, he was treated by God as if we had lived his life so that God could now treat us as if we had lived Jesus' life. And that's not, that's not all. Because three days later, what happened? He rose from the grave testifying his victory over the law because he fulfilled it. Victory over death because he rose from it. Victory over sin because he paid for it. He has given us victory, and because of this victory, once and for all, a children of God, the child of God, could rest not in their work, but in the work of Jesus, and this is why he is worthy of praise today. All right, 14 people in this room are pumped. I'm pumped with you. I'm joining you. So now think about the Selah. Say a lot like this God, this God wants you. 
He wants to bless you. He wants to grace you. He wants to shine his face on you. Selah. You know, a few years ago, um, I went to this fancy sushi restaurant. I know you guys don't eat sushi. It's, it's a Texas thing. And, and if, in California, we eat sushi all the time. And I went to the swanky sushi restaurant. And, and there he was, the CEO of Starbucks, Howard Schultz, sitting right next to me. And I was like, I was dating my wife. I turned to my wife. I'm like, babe, it's Howard Schultz. And like, wow, I was just awestruck. This guy, I read his book and everything, and I was just really moved. And I enjoyed my dinner. And finally, at the end of the meal, he turns. He says, I flew down from Seattle just to eat at this place. And I don't know any good dessert place. Do you know any some good dessert ice cream places around here? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I have a PhD in food. And then, and I know every place. I know everywhere. And so I suggested several places that he could go to. I remember going to that bed that night. I was thinking, my goodness, I met Howard Schultz. I can't believe I talked to Howard Schultz. Guess what? Today, this morning, early in my hotel, guess who was there? The CEO of the universe. God himself. And I woke up and I just looked to the skies and said, Lord, I love you. Lord, you talk to me. Lord, I want to cast my burdens upon you. Lord, I have these desires for today that only you could empower and make happen. Will you do it, Lord? And the Lord was assuring me with his love. He was assuring me with his sovereignty. He was assuring me and comforting me through the process. Can you believe that our God who created this universe with the billions of stars in the sky shows up and shines his face upon you today? That is so worthwhile in meditating. And it's an amazing thing. You and I are made to enjoy God. More made than just to come and fulfill some religious duties. We're made to wake up and receive the mercy and the grace of God every single day of your life. But that's not where this verse stops. Because I want to draw back to this passage in verse 1. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. And what do you see right after that? What punctuation? A comma. Not a period, but a comma. And if we're not careful, we'll just stop and say, oh, God just wants us to enjoy his grace. Praise God and become utterly consumeristic of his grace alone, and that's it. No, but there's a comma because then the next word says that. Say that. 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 So that God gives us this grace for us to enjoy so that, verse two, ready? Your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. Say nations. 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 So first we exist to enjoy God's grace and here's the second purpose, to spread God's glory to all nations. To spread God's glory to all nations. He blesses us and shines his face upon us that your way be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. So here is the key point that I do not want you to miss. God's grace is not intended to stop with you, but his grace is intended to spread through you. Did you hear that? God's grace is not intended to stop with you, not just with your family, not just with your neighbors, but God's grace is intended that we are to enjoy his grace so that it will work itself through you. 
And this verse isn't just a one-off, isolated passage. You realize if you study Scripture, it is all throughout Scripture. In fact, it is one of the meta-narratives of the Bible, how God redeems and graces and blesses so that you'll be an agent of blessing to all the nations. I'll prove it to you. First, we'll start in Genesis 1. God creates his image, uh, us in his image, so that we might have relationship with him. And then what does he say immediately? He says, uh, multiply and go, go, share my glory all throughout the earth. Enjoy grace and spread my glory was the message. Then we get to Genesis 12 where God calls Abraham the father of Israel. He says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And you will bless. And you will actually, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed and anointed. Then Genesis 26 verse 4, he says the same thing to Abraham's son Isaac. In Genesis 28 verse 14, he says the same thing to Isaac's son Jacob. He says, I will make you as numerous as the stars, and every nation, every tongue, every tribe will know that I am their God. And you realize this is the impetus of the entire Old Testament story, that God gives us his grace so that we might be a blessing to the nations Let's keep going, Exodus chapter 14. Why does God split the Red Sea in half and allows the Israelites to go through and closes it on the Egyptians? You might immediately think, oh, of course, to preserve his people. Yes, but you only got half the question right. Because if you read on, you'll realize God gives us the reason. He says in chapter 14, he says, I have closed up the river, closed up the sea on the Egyptians so that the nation of Egypt will know my name. Do you see, it's not to preserve the Jews only, but it's to preserve eventually the Egyptians and all the people of the world. You get to Joshua 5. Joshua is in the outskirts of Jericho. He's about to enter into the city of the promised land, the most fortified city in the world. And he has basically five military options. He could go over the wall, under the wall, through the wall. He could start inside the wall like the Trojan horse idea, you know, and just penetrate from within. Or maybe starve them out, flesh them out of the wall. So he has five, and at the end of Joshua 5, here is patiently waiting for the word of the Lord to give him some strategy. And so Joshua's waiting. And finally, God opens his mouth and says, assemble your men, but don't assemble the tough ones. I want you to assemble the musicians. <laughs> the musicians? What? I mean, I have dudes with armor and swords, and we're ready to go, and you want the musicians? And God says, yeah, bring up the worship band. They're like, man, worship bands, they, they drink like high-end coffee. I mean, they're not, they're not fighters. They're lovers. They're poets. You know what I mean? And what, what are we going to do with them? God, are you serious? And God says, I'm doing this. Why? Why does God do this? And the answer is this, that throughout Scripture, God always chooses to sovereignly display his grace in a way that only God could take the credit. Amen? Only God could take the credit. And here's what you don't see. So you, you see, they assemble the musicians, and they play the trumpets, and the walls come down, and the entire city is destroyed. And here's what you don't see in Joshua 6. Joshua and some other guys coming to Bill, the trumpet player, and say, hey, Bill, dude, when you were walking around the walls, that note that you hit with your trumpet, that was so sweet. That was so awesome, man. Man, it was you that did it, wasn't it, right? I mean, you were incredible, man. Kenny G got nothing on you. Nothing. I mean, you're incredible, right? You killed it, said no one. Why? Instead, they were saying, only God. Only God could have done this. And then at the end of Joshua 6, it ends by saying, God's fame was in 
all the land. All the land. Daniel 3, you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who goes into a fiery furnace. And, and they're literally brought out of the furnace, not smelling like smoke even. Why did they do it? Why? Because it says, Nebuchadnezzar actually said right out of that, he says, you and your God shall be worshipped in all the land. We go to Daniel 6. Why did God show grace in protecting Daniel from the lion's den? What did King Darius do? Do you remember what he did, which is so unique? It said that he translated a decree in all the languages so that all the nations would know of Daniel's God and his mighty work. All the nations. And this is the whole reason why we have the book of Psalms. 150 poetry reciting all giving glory to God and God alone. And we see this. In the middle of the book, now, what's fascinating is my, my anniversary is coming up this next month. And here's what, thank you, and here's what will never happen for me to go to my wife and say, hey, babe, I wrote 150 poems for you, for you to recite for my glory, <laughs> for you to enjoy <laughs> my grace. In fact, put some melody to it. <laughs> and sing it to me, and, and, and you will be blessed, and you will be fulfilled. No way would I do that because why? Because I want to stay married. That's why. But why does God do this? God says, bring all the glory to me. Every single song that you sing belongs to me. Recite these on behalf of me. And then we go to the New Testament where Mark 16 verse 15 says, go preach to the good news to all of creation. And we see in Matthew 28, we're celebrating that before Jesus ascends to heaven. He says, now go and make disciples to where? All nations. All nations. In Acts 1a, we see the Holy Spirit comes in us, and it says, you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Romans 15, verse 20, Paul says, let us go, not in places where Christ has already been named, but places where Christ has not been named for the glory of God. And finally, in Revelation 7, there's a great multitude that no one could count from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation gathered around the throne of God, the throne of God, the central figure of all glory, and everybody singing, salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb of Christ, Praise, glory, honor, and thanks, wisdom. We declare these to you. Praise be our God forever and ever and ever. Amen. And you and I will sing these songs forever, all throughout eternity, billions of years from now, and we will be satisfied. This is his dream. This is where all of history is going. Now, some of you might be sitting here saying, well, wait a minute, you know, are you saying God has an ulterior motive of blessing me ultimately to, uh, uh, you know, exalt himself? That seems rather self-centered of God. I just want to be clear. That's not what I'm saying. That's what God is saying. <laughs> that's what God is saying. God's saying, oh, yeah, I've created you so that you might exalt me. Now, if you have a problem with that, I would just simply ask a follow-up question. Who, who else would you rather exalt? You? Me? Mother Earth? Who would you rather have God exalt? In the moment that he exalts something else, especially a created thing, 
that he will forfeit himself to be God and no longer worthy of all of our worship. God is only God because he is the only not created one. He created all things. That means he is worthy of all glory. And so let me put it together like this. Just picture this. If God were to love you perfectly and that he were to love you infinitely in in ways that he'll never stop for eternity, if God could give you a gift, his best gift, what do you think he'll give you? And the answer is himself. He will give himself to us. And we, we find ourselves asking for cars and better circumstances and a little more wealth and a little more happiness. If God were to give us his best thing, he would give us himself. And this is exactly what he has done. Think about it. What this, how did God glorify himself? He sent his son as a substitute sacrifice for our sins so that he might draw us into a relationship with this almighty God. So Psalm 67 again, it says, may God, this mighty God, be gracious to us and to bless us and make his face shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. Could I share with you, there are roughly eight billion people in this world right now and almost six billion of them who are not Christians. And every six billion of them are people just like you and me. They're mothers and fathers and nanas and dadas and uncles and aunties and students and children. And if nothing changes, they will never ever hear the gospel. And as a result, they will be damned to hell. And I know there are a ton of tragedies in the world and we see it right now in the Middle East as Israel is at war with Palestinians and we see Palestinians and um, Israelites dying and Jews dying and senseless death. And we, we saw the beginning of the year in January 1st, we saw a huge earthquake that happened in Japan and hundreds of people dying and still lost and under rubbles. And, and we, we think that's a great tragedy in this world and we grieve as Christians. And yet I, I wonder why we don't grieve the most grievous thing, which is I wonder if they knew Jesus. I wonder if they knew Jesus, because one thing to not have life is another thing to not have eternity with God. Why is that? Why don't we care? Well, here's what I'm convinced of, because I think Christians do care, but I think Christians don't think that it is their job to care, that it's the job of the missionaries to do it. But I think there's a problem with that ideology. Why? Primarily because of this passage, because this passage gives us an ontological reason or an idea or to say, this is the meaning of your life. If you separate your meaning of your life from God's call, then you are missing it. And the meaning of life, his purpose is for you to enjoy his grace so that you might spread his glory. That you and I are all to one degree or another missionaries. Remember, you exist to enjoy God's grace and we are to spread it to others. And think about the design of a bicycle. A bicycle has pedals, two pedals, and one, if you stroke it down, you might go about 10 feet. It's like, kind of like enjoying grace. Yeah, we are called to enjoy God's massive grace, so we enjoy it, but if you only press one 
pedal down, you, you, you're not going to go very far. And in order to actually live up to the design of a bicycle to use it as a vehicle, you need to press the other pedal down, which is to, in this case, spread God's glory. So you enjoy grace only to spread God's glory, enjoy grace to spread God's glory, and you do that, and you see motion, and there you are, your true spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is not just praying and reading God's word. It is for you to enjoy that grace only to spread it among the nations over and over and over again. This is your calling. This is my calling. Now, some of you might say, well, you know, um, that makes sense, you know? up here, but it doesn't quite get me here. And I'll I'll just put it to you this way. Do you think that the Holy Spirit wants to reach all the nations for Jesus? Yeah, of course. And the second question is, do you think that that same spirit lives inside you? Of course. If so, then you don't need another agent to experience breakthrough in this season because there's something in you that's just dormant. And you need to pray that you need to wake it up. Wake it up. It's in you. A Holy Spirit that loves all nations for the cause of Christ is in you. And that's what we need to pray. Lord, stir us up within. There's something in us already that could be catalyzed for us to be changed forever and ever. Help us to enjoy your grace so that we could spread the gospel and your glory. That is the breakthrough. And I'll just close this way, just really convicted because not few weeks ago, I was, just only a few weeks ago, I was watching a video of a mission call opening. Do you know what that is? A mission call opening? A lot of Christians don't know it because it's a Mormon thing. You know, in, in the Mormon doctrine, they send young people into missions. And so mission call opening is where they open the letter that the Mormon leaders have written to that child, 17-year-old, 18-year-old, they graduated high school, and as they read this long letter of affirmation of how they've been called for their God's mission, they read it, and they nervously read it because at the end of that letter, they always reveal where they're going to be sent for the next two years of their life to be called to their God's mission. And so this gal is watching the YouTube video. She was reading and reading and reading. She has all of her family around her, her mom, her dad, all of her siblings, all of her friends, uncles. It's like a Super Bowl party. And they're there, and she's reading out loud. She's, she's standing, and she's getting a little bit nervous because she's getting to the part where she's going to disclose where she's going to go. And finally, she says, and I'm going to, you're going to Argentina. And you would have thought that in that room that she got into the greatest university known to man. You would have thought that she won the lotto because an eruption happened. People were celebrating, hugging each other, high-fiving each other. There was glee, there was joy to spread around. And here are these Mormons celebrating mission among our young people for a lie. And what do Christians do for the truth? We continue to consume and consume and consume. And we don't celebrate our young people going away and saying, you go, I'll support you financially, I'll support you prayerfully, whatever I could do, let's throw a party for you. Why can't Christians create a culture of sending like that when we have the truth and what Mormons are willing to do for a lie? 
I want to close by showing you this picture. This picture that I, I show you is an old church. And I show you this picture because it's, it's one of the old churches in the Bay Area. And when I planted our church, this was the picture that I stared at, had in my office. And it, was, it served as a great inspiration to me. And I want to ask you today, as you look at this picture, and there are young people, older people, and, and this is in the early 1900s. We don't have many churches in our area. That's when we need to continue to plant churches and have people live on mission. Here are these people. Man, they must have lived really faithfully in their calling. And they were so proud. They were standing in front of their church. My question to you is, what do you see that they have in common right now? What do you see that they have in common? And the answer is, they're all dead. They're not here. Uh, They're all dead. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about them being a, a great cloud of witnesses now. They're cheering us on. And if they could say anything to us today, I believe this is what they would say. This was our generation. Now today is your generation. This is your time. We preached the gospel. We held steadfast to the truth. And now it's your turn. This is your time. This is your season. And you will not get another season like this. This is your life. Live to enjoy God's grace. Live to spread his glory. And throughout generations, faithful men and women have passed on the gospel over and over and over again. And now we receive it from another generation and our role is to pass it off to the next. And my prayer for us is that you will be awakened to the joyful burden of not only receiving and enjoying God's grace, but to spread his glory. So will you bow with me? Will you just, in all of our, if, you have, if you're checking us online or you're out there or you're in this room, will you just close your eyes just in, just in faith. And if you have not been quite satisfied in your life and perhaps you feel like, I'm doing a lot, but there's gotta be something more than this. Maybe perhaps you're not living to the full design to which God has called you, that you were made to savor his grace but also to spread his glory. And I just want to give you a brief moment, a Selah moment, an opportunity for us to just come before the Lord and say, God, will you wake up something in me? Will you stir up the spirit that is in me, the very spirit that loves you, the the very spirit that is a witness of yours, the seal of yours, the very spirit that longs to see all the nations glorify your name. All that lives in me. Now I want to stir it up. Will you wake that up for your glory? Father, how I long that we would have a passion, especially these young ones that I see in the front row here. 
how I pray. What we pass down to them is, is, is a passion and a zeal for the, for the Christ that, that gives us this kind of grace and that we would enjoy him, that we would consume him, we would savor him and see that he is so, so good, that he walks steadfast with us, that he would never abandon us according to scripture, and that he sees everything, all the secret things of our lives, and yet he still loves us the same, that there's not a day in which he loved us more than how he loves us today, and that is so worthy of our thoughts and our glory, our affection to you. But Father, I fear that the next generation will be taught something different, a consuming Christianity where we just sit in churches and listen to sermons and pray once in a while and call that good when you have called us by design to enjoy your grace and to spread your glory. And if we have believed a different doctrine or a Bible, we think that we have reached everybody, Father, will you stir us up? And will you wake up this church Will you break through within us? It doesn't matter if we're 15 years old or 50 years old. Lord, you have a great purpose for us. As long as we have a heartbeat and a breath, you have called us to enjoy you today, Selah, and to spread your gospel for your glory and your glory alone. Will you, Spirit, stir us up? Will we sing like never before? Will you offer our lives? There's no magic card that we put in these jars that these people will be saved. You are calling us. I pray that we will wake up in this generation for this is our time that you have given us. We trust that. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.